Hey, Refuge, it is uh, good to be back in our building again. This is really just our next step in moving back to where we're going to be gathering together uh, and to worship Jesus together again. And so I'm really excited to be back here and, and us moving in that direction. Hey, I'm just thankful for you too and the way you've continued to tune in and, and worship and learn and, and, and be together at least virtually with us through these times that, uh, that are really unprecedented times for us. And so thank you for being so faithful in all that you do, for tuning in, for worshiping, for reaching out, for loving and caring for people, for giving, for all the things that you do to continue to be the church. Thanks for being that. That's a really big deal. And, and so I just want to tell you that I'm glad to be in this with you. Uh, I couldn't think of any other people I'd rather be in it with than you. So uh, uh, much grace to you, much blessings to you. Hey, open your Bibles, if you will, to Genesis chapter 12. This really begins a new section in Genesis, uh, Genesis uh, 1 through 11. It's not a new story, but it's really the, the beginning story and the beginning of creation and the fall of man. And then you get into tons of genealogies, which we've covered already. And then you get into chapter 12, which really talks about the life of Abram or Abraham as we all know him. And, and so that's where we're picking up today. So Genesis chapter 12, uh, that's where we will be to start. And so we'll just jump in at verse one. This is what the text says. Uh, now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make you a great nation and I will bless you and I will make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abram went as the Lord told him and lot with him. Abram was 75 years old when he departed from, from Haran. <clears throat> and Abram took Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all their possessions that they had gathered, and the people that they had acquired in Haran. And they set out to go to the land of Canaan when they came to the land of Canaan. Abram passed through the land to the place at Shechem, to the oak of Moreh. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give them this land. So he built there an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. From there he moved into the hill country, onto the east of Bethel, and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. And Abram journeyed on, still going toward the Negev. Hey, let me pray, and we will dive right into our text today. God, we do love you, and we're so thankful for who you are. We, God, you are the God of creation. You have created all things. You are the one who holds all things together. You're the one who has plotted out history. God, you are the one who is holding history and, and the future into your hands. And God, I'm thankful that we serve a God who is that big, yet so personal that you call us individually to yourself, that you speak to us individually, that you guide us, you have specific plans for us, God, you know the plans that you have designed for us, God, and I am I'm thankful to serve you. And it is my prayer today that as we open the scriptures, Holy Spirit, that you teach me something, that you use me to, to speak the words that you would have me speak. God, I pray that today that someone is listening, that someone who hears this at some point, they're outside the household of faith, God, that you call them, you call them out of darkness, just like you called Abraham, uh, you call them out, call them to follow you, to repent and to believe become followers of Jesus today. That is our hope. That is our prayer. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. 
I'm sure many of you, like probably the rest of us, like I, like I do from time to time, you go, hey, what is it that God wants me to do with my life? And, and so if you have, I mean, everybody just nod your head. Yep, just nod your head because you've wondered it sometimes. What are you doing, God? What is it you want me to do with my life? Uh, I, I mean, we can learn a great deal about God's call as we really think about Abraham's call as we read through this text today. Abraham is a central figure, obviously in Genesis, because we're going to talk about him for a number of chapters going ahead, but it talks about him in the New Testament as well. Uh, uh, in the book of Genesis, uh, not only these 12 chapters, but we see it in Second Chronicles and Isaiah, and then over in uh, James, the scripture says, uh, Abraham was called a friend of God. I think that's where we get that song from. I am a friend of God. I am a friend of God. I am a friend of God. He calls me friend. So uh, my kids, whenever they were little and we would sing that song, they would say, I am a friend of Scott. And so they would sing it that way. And so if you sing it from now on, you can say, I'm a friend of God. I'm a friend of Scott. You can just substitute all those kind of things in there. But, but that is, that is uh, we think about that, it got, that he was a, Abraham was called a friend of God. And that's a really big deal to be called that. And, and, he's, and again, he's just saying that he is a central figure in and through the text. In the, in the New Testament, we see him in Romans and Galatians and Hebrews and in James. And he's called the father in, uh, of those who believe in Galatians chapter 3, verse 7. And he's honest, and, and he's also called the founder of the three great world religions, whether it's Judaism or Islam or Christianity. And so you think about that, that all these world religions go back to Abraham. And so obviously the, the story gets a little bit squirrely in all those to figure all that out. Uh, but he is called the father of all these world religions. And so God called Abraham many years after the flood in Genesis 6 through 8. You remember the, the earth was so sinful that God destroyed it and started over with Noah's family. And, and, and really, even Noah's descendants became sinful after that. And, and, and I'm honestly thankful that God had chosen and promised not to destroy the world again by flood because it seems as though the world had gotten just as bad by the time we get to Abraham's day as it was pre flood. But thankfully, God said, nope, remember, I'm going to put a rainbow in the sky, and that's my promise to never destroy the, the earth by flood and by water again. And, and so you get to Genesis 11, and, and, and we, we talked about this uh, just not too long ago, and, and, and the descendants there were, were trying to build a tower. It's called the Tower of Babel. And, and they said, let us go make a name for ourselves. And, and like Adam and Eve and, and really Satan even before them, uh, they became proud and wanted to bring glory to themselves rather than give glory to God. And so they were like, hey, let's build this tower and we'll make a name for ourselves. And, and so in doing that, they were disobeying God. God had told them to go out through all the, disperse themselves through all the land, but instead they came together and wanted to do something the very contrary to what it was that God had called them to. And, and because of that, God confounded their speech and the people scattered and the whole tower project was abandoned. So they, they didn't build the tower. And, and then we get to Abram or Abraham and Abraham's call was, was very special, and God had called him out of this rebellious world and, and to where he would be a conduit for salvation. So a conduit, if you think about a conduit, it's like a, a, a trough that you put, uh, a, a channel that you might put some uh, things in. That, that's, a, that's a conduit. And so Abraham was really the conduit 
or the channel that redemptive history would actually begin to flow to all mankind. Uh, he's a pivotal character in, in history, and, and as we study him, we're going to learn a lot and a great deal about uh, living a life of faith. What does it look like to live a life of faith? We'll learn a lot from Abraham, uh, and, and, but specifically in this passage, we're going to look at what it looks like to learn and hear uh, God's call. So let, let's dive in. Uh, the first thing that we see is uh, God's call is a call to obey. Uh, look what it says in verse 1. Now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. So God's call is a call to obey. So say obey. Yeah, yeah you know that. You, you, you say that a lot in your house, right? Uh, so Abram's call began with God speaking to him. And, and we don't know really how this speech happened. I mean, we don't know if God talked to him through some still small voice or if it was a cloud or if it was some blinding light or some little soft voice that he heard. But we know this, uh, that God made his will very clear to Abram. And this, this is what he said. He said, you're to leave your country and your people and your father's household and just skedaddle. I mean, get on out of here. That's what he was saying was to, you just got to move on and just take whatever you got and just go. Uh, and so that was the will of God. Now, as believers, don't we want to know the will of God? I mean, I'm sure as, as you go through your life, you know, God, what is, you'd have, what is God's will in this? We hear people talking about God's will all the time. What is God's will for my future? What majors, if you're in college or you're getting ready to go to college, I know it's that kind of time of year, and what majors should I pursue? Or, or who should I marry? Or, or what should I do next? I mean, those are all questions that we want to do, and we want to know what it is that God wants us to know. And, and we should understand a few important things about discerning God's call. We should, we should think about, hey, what is it that God would have me do? How do I know it's God who is calling me to do some things? Well, in one sense, there's a general call for all believers. So all, if you're a follower of Jesus, then many of us have a call that is specific to all of us. God calls us to make disciples. And we talk about that a lot here at Refuge, and you've probably heard that said a lot in your churches where you may have grown up or whether you may go to that church now or, or attend that church or hear that church online talking about making disciples. Well, what does it mean to make a disciple? I mean, what is it? Do you have a disciple? Are you a disciple of someone? The reality is making a disciple is, is basically taking your life and infusing it into the life of another. That's what making a disciple looks like. Well, what does it take to make a disciple? To make a disciple, you have to spend time with people. You have to spend one-on-one -on -one time with people. You have to answer their questions. You have to impart wisdom to them. And so making a disciple requires a lot of one-on-one -on -one time, uh, no matter what it may look like. You, you may be teaching something. You may be opening the Bible and teaching them something. You may be teaching them how to work on a car. You may be teaching them how to cook a meal. There's lots of things that we're discipling people. And I remember uh, uh, from a time that, we're, that someone said this, we're either discipling people to the cross or we're discipling people away from the cross. We're either discipling people to follow Jesus, or we're discipling people to do our own thing. I mean, we've seen that all through Genesis already, where people, very few people would actually follow Jesus, but many people wanted to do their own things. We do the same thing today. So what kind of disciples are you making? God calls us to make disciples 
of Jesus. He also calls us to spend time in prayer, to spend time in daily prayer with him, to, to pour out our hearts to him, to, to, bring, to bring our desires and our needs and our wants to him, to also lift up our voices to him, to declare who he is. So prayer time is a, an important thing that God calls us to do. He calls us to be involved with a and serve in a, in a Bible-preaching church. That's, that's one of the things that we ask you to do here at Refuge is to get involved somewhere and be involved in what we're doing. He encourages us to turn away from sin, to turn, or, or as my friend Ed Wong would say, turn or burn. Uh, and, and so to turn away from sin, I would urge you to turn away from sin if you're involved in sin right now. And, and really, this is a, just a general aspect of God's general call to all believers. But God also has specific calls to believers. Just like we've seen in, in this text, in God's specific call to Abraham to, to leave his home and his family and to, to be a blessing to the world. And so a specific call deals with things that are not necessarily clearly revealed in his word. The, the things that he reveals in his word are for kind of some general things, specific things to all believers. But sometimes he has specific calls for you and me in our own lives for the things to do. And so when God calls you to do something or to not do something, how do you respond to that? I think there are four ways in which we actually respond to, at least four ways in which we actually respond to uh, God's calling us. One, we confirm the call. So if God calls us to something and we confirm the call, we're like, okay, God, I hear what you're saying and, and, and I, I agree with you and, and, and my time in prayer with you is, is really confirming this thing that you would have me to do. Just like a God called Abram right here, he confirmed that call and he knew exactly what it was that God was calling him to do. So sometimes we confirm the call it is. Sometimes we uh, 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 we know exactly what it is. We don't have to question anything. We know God's calling us to something specific. Uh, sometimes, though, we have a tendency to call a committee. And, and so rather than just confirming it with God, we're like, okay, people, I, I need your input on this. And so we call a committee together of our friends, or our neighbors. That happened to us whenever we were planning this church over 11 years ago. I mean, we had to bring some people together and pray and go, is this what God is actually calling us to do? Is to plant a church and to start a new work? And, and with these people, is that what he's really wanting us to do? And, and so maybe you have to call a committee of people together and say, Hey, this is what I think God is saying, and would you agree, would you pray with me and help me and understand if this is what it is that God wants me to do? So you call a committee of people together. Or maybe you just say, come on, God. I hear what you're saying, but you got to be kidding. Come on, God. I know that you can't be saying that. It's got to be something different than whatever I think it is that you're saying. And you're like, oh, no, no, wait. There's no way that that's actually going to happen. Or then you get to the last one and you just continue and avoid what it is that God is telling you to do. You hear him saying it, other people are confirming it in it, and you're like, uh-uh, I ain't paying no attention to you. I, I don't want to hear you say that again, but you, I'm just going to continue doing what I'm doing, and I'm going to avoid what it is that God is actually uh, telling me to do right now. Uh, but the reality is that we want God to give us specific things to do in our lives. We want him to tell us, hey, this is how I want you to... These are the things that I want you to do in your life. And we long for God to pay special attention to us. Hey, God, I want you to tell me specifically. I know you got this whole world and cosmos thing going on, but I want you to spend some time with me and tell me what it is you want me to do. Help me, lead me, guide me. And we pray like this very often. But listen, I need you to listen very closely to this. 
Because this is like really important if these are the things that you want in your life. It's imperative that if we want God to reveal specific things to us in our lives, we must be faithful in the little things. I mean, we must be faithful in those things that the scripture is very clear about. Why in the world would God reveal some big plan for us and something very specific in our life if we're not even faithful in the small things? And so are you? Are you being faithful in the small things? I mean, think about it this way. When your kids come to you, sometimes your kids come to you and, and they make some big request to, to go somewhere or purchase something big online or move their rooms around or rearrange whatever the things are that, that your kids come up, whatever their brains have cooked up. And, and you remind them of the fact that they still have weak old plates of food sitting in their room or or on their nightstand, or, or they haven't had a shower in three days. You go, wait, you want to do something big? How about you just go take a shower? I, I mean, we need to be faithful in the small things before we can expect God to trust us to be faithful in the big things. It's like God's going, handle your business first, and then we'll move on to some other things. The Bible teaches it this way. Um, God has given a general call in Scripture uh, for everyone to obey. Like, again, meditating on His Word or, or sharing the gospel or using our spiritual gifts to, to serve the church or turning away from sin. I mean, those are very general calls that we all need to hear. And when, we want, when we're faithful with what God has already revealed, He gives us more. The Scripture tells us this. Mark chapter 4, verse 24 says this. And He said to them, this is Jesus talking, Pay attention to what you hear with the measure you use. That's the key point. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you and still more will be added to you. For to the one who has, more will be given. And from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And so Jesus says that if we're faithful with what we hear from God, including our general call and the specific call, then he gives us more. If we're faithful in the small things, then he'll make us faithful over bigger things. But to those who do not obey, the scripture says he can take those things away. And many Christians cannot discern the will of God because they're disobedient in the general call. And then our hearts begin to harden over the things of God. So my question for you is, <clears throat> where are you being disobedient? We try to make it real simple around here. There's some things that we call the five G's at refuge. And, and so we try to lay out a really specific way to go, hey, these are just some general things that, that God would want you to do at being part of a local New Testament church. And, and our five G's are, you know, one of one is a one-off five G go to discover, but the other one is like to, to get involved and to, to, to be part of a gospel community group and to, and to give. And so it's important for us to, 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 to be involved in some very simple things. And so I would encourage you, if you're part of Refuge Church, especially as we get back into gathering and meeting together, are you doing some of these minimalistic things in and amongst your church body? And then to ask God to go, hey, now that I'm just doing these things that you call me to do, what else is it you'd have me to do? 
That's really what I want you to take from that. The Apostle Paul reminds us to guard against uh, really being uh, pulled away from this and to keep our minds fresh on the Word of God. This is what he says in Romans chapter 12, verse 22. He says this, do not be conformed. Say this, do not be conformed. Let me underline that so you can see that. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed. Say, be transformed. Be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So he gives some very specific instructions, but the two things you need to remember are do not be conformed, but be transformed. Do not be conformed, but be transformed. Say that with me. Do not be conformed, but be transformed. One more time. Do not be conformed, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what the will of God is, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So let's get back to our our point. So God's call is a call to obey. And so Abram was this direct descendant of Shem. You remember if we talked about that a couple weeks ago, that the, that, uh, uh, the, the, the uh, descendants of Noah, as they came off the ark, God kind of funneled it down, and, and they were following the descendants of Shem. And we talked about all that last week. And, and so Abram lived in Ur. It was a dark and sin-soaked, sin-filled place until God spoke to him. And God's command was really a shocking one, if you think about it, to Abram. Here's what he said. He said, leave your country, leave your people, and leave your father's house. See what he says here in verse one on the text? It says, now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country. Again, I'm gonna write on this so you'll, uh, so you'll get this. Uh, he says, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And so he was just saying, just go. I'm going to show it to you, but I need you to just go right now. John Calvin uh, says it something like this. He says, because God didn't give any specifics in his command, God, in effect, was saying this. I command you to go forth with closed eyes and forbid you to inquire where I am about to lead you until, having renounced your country, you shall have given yourself wholly to me or fully to me. Let me say that again, because this is really Calvin explaining this. I command you to go forth with closed eyes. So you've done that before? You've walked into, you know, you walk through your house, your kids want to play this game where they cover your eyes and you have to walk with your eyes closed. This is what God was saying. I command you to go forth with closed eyes and forbid you to inquire where we're going, where I'm about to lead you, until having renounced your country, you shall have given yourself wholly or fully to me. Calvin goes on to say that Abram was asked to believe and obey the naked word of the Lord. The naked word of the Lord. And the truth about this is this call is very much like the gospel call. Look what uh, Jesus says in Matthew chapter 10. He says this, whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Think about how much you love your parents. I know some of you come from jacked up families, I get it. But, but in general, how, 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 how kids love their parents. Or think about how you love your kids. That, that, that may be even better. How you love your children. And, and in this text, Jesus was saying, whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. 
this is some radical stuff. Jesus also talks about this in, in uh, Mark chapter 8. He says, um, for whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. He's basically saying, if you're willing to die to yourself and all the things that you set up in your life, all the idols that are mean more important to you than God does, if you're willing to put of those things away and put God on the throne and set him first in your life and follow him no matter where he calls you to, then you'll save your life. The gospel calls us to trust Jesus fully and to trust in nothing else. See, when Jesus calls us, he doesn't really guarantee our earthly future or he doesn't even really tell us what it'll be like. He does promise that he'll take us to be with him one day and he does promise to forgive us. He does promise to give us his peace. He does promise to never leave us or forsake us, but he doesn't promise us that our problems will be solved. Jesus does not promise a life of ease and peace And and honestly, if you're looking for these things to happen before you come to Jesus, then you're you're just never going to get those. If you're looking for the life of ease, and that means that God wants you to be part of his family, that's not what it's like. Jesus calls us to trust in his word and his promises alone. Well, you may say, well, preacher, there were promises that were given to Abram there were promises to, even in this text, there were promises given. Well, you're right. Let's look and see what it says in verse two. This is what it says in verse two. And I will make you a great nation and I will bless you and I will make your name great so that you will be a blessing. In verse three, I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be, shall be blessed. And, and so this is true. Promises were made, uh, but Abram never got to fully experience what the fulfillment of these promises were like. He never got to see them all come to fruition. Uh, Paul wrote to the Galatians, and he says this. Here's what he said. Paul said to the Galatians, If you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. So you think about that, that if you're a Christian today, that you are part of this fulfilled promise that God made to Abraham. How cool is that? That we read about this in Genesis chapter 12, that God says, I'm going to give you some offspring, and that if you and I are Christians today, we're part of that promise. That's kind of cool. I don't care who you are, that's kind of cool. And so if you look back to the the text, and, and you see the promise that God made to Abram, that God would make Abram a great nation, it seems kind of cray cray, because his wife was barren. I mean, He had a wife that couldn't have children, and he said, your offspring are going to be more numerous than the stars in the sky. And so stop and think about that with me. Some of you know what it's like to experience the pain of childlessness. Some of you know what it's like to be barren. Some of you know the desperation that you feel whenever you go, I I want and I desire children so desperately. Sarah probably had some of these same feelings that you do. Just the longing for children. And then God promises that. So Abram was asked to believe the promises of God, that God's going to make him a great nation, even with a barren wife, and even the fact that they were both beginning to advance 
in years. Abraham talks about that. When, he, when God talks to him about that, a little bit later, he says, you know, we're, we're 100 years old and we, we haven't even had any children yet. And so again, one commentator says that God called them to believe in the dark. That in the darkness that surrounded them in their own lives, God called them to believe. And, and so not only did God call Abram and say, I'm going to make you a great nation. He said, I'm going to make your name great. I'm going to make your name, Abram. It's going to be great and remembered. You know, if you think about it, that's what the builders of the Tower of Babel were trying to accomplish. They wanted their name to be great. They, we're going to build this huge big tower, and everybody's going to know who we are. Everybody's going to look over here and say, there's that tower that they built. I know whose name was on that. And uh, we do this in our culture today, right? I mean, uh, we put the names of companies and the names of things on buildings. I, I'm sure when they, if they had gotten that tower built, they'd have won their name, you know, plastered up on the side. And, and some strange name that we've been trying to pronounce all through Genesis would have been up on the side of that big tower. And, uh, and, and you know, names mean something something. I, I mean, we marketing today, I, I, I got a marketing degree from Mississippi State, and, and marketing is putting names out there, and marketing is selling things, and marketing is putting yourself out there, and it's like, hey, remember me. And that's what the people of Babel wanted. They wanted to be remembered. Yet by faith, Abram was going to receive what could not be attained by human or self-serving effort. Did you get that? Abram was going to, he was going to receive, he was going to get that. He was going to receive what could not be attained by human self-serving effort. Abram's great name was going to be a gift from God that God gave to him. A, a name that included the lineage of, of King David that would be in, in Abram's, in Abraham's lineage would be King David. And even bigger than that, obviously, is King Jesus, that Jesus is in Abraham's lineage. Remember, Philippians 2 verse 9 says, God gave Jesus the name that is above all names so that the name of Jesus, every knee would bow. That's in Abraham's lineage. And so just a sidebar to that. Scripture just says that, that every knee will bow to Jesus. That includes my knees, that one day I'll fall to my knees and worship King Jesus. And that includes you. Even if you don't follow Jesus, your knee will bow to Jesus. Even if you deny Jesus now or you mock Jesus now, yes, yours too, your knee will bow to Jesus. And my encouragement is for your knee to bow to him as Lord, for he's already your Lord and Savior. Don't go and where your knee bows to him where he, you're his enemy. Bow to him where he is your Lord and your Savior and your King. That's my hope. Look, God is a God who keeps his promises. He may not do it the way we expect, but God always, say always, God always keeps his promises. Let me keep going in the text. Verse four says this, so Abram went as the Lord told him and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. And Abram took Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all their possessions that they had gathered and the people that they had acquired in Haran. And they set out to go to the land of Canaan when they came to the, when they came to the land of Canaan. So off they go. And so instead of Christmas vacation, it's like an episode of Abraham's vacation. Uh, so, the, so here they go, they're headed out. And, and one note that I want you to note from, um, 
uh, from verse five, the text says the people that they had acquired in Haran. And, and so as you read through this, it's probably very easy to think, well, these are probably slaves and these are probably people that had come along to work for Abram. And, and a couple of commentators translate this though, that says this phrase says that the souls that they had won in Haran. And, and so the, the, I believe what the truth behind this is that this text is referring to them sharing the good news about who God was, the true God of the universe, that they were telling people that, hey, this, this is what God's called us to, and let me tell you about this God who called us out of Ur of the Chaldeans and that we're going to follow. And so now they were calling others to follow God also. And, and so Abram was actively sharing his faith in God as he was, and as people were following him, they began to follow Abram wherever he was going to go, wherever he was leading. And, and, and that's what we call you to do at Refuge, that as you're going to tell other peoples about Jesus. So how often do you tell your story? I mean, how often do you tell people as you're going about how what it looks like to follow Jesus? What is your story? I mean, do you have a story of following Jesus? Do you have a story that you can tell people, uh, man, this is an exciting story about how I've come to know Jesus and how he's changed my life? Or do you have this? Golden ticket theology. It's what we call it here at Refuge. Let me explain golden ticket theology to you. Golden ticket theology is where you've done this thing and you've prayed this prayer and you think that you've got the golden ticket that you'll just pull out one day whenever you get to heaven and go, God, remember that thing I did? And I got my golden ticket when I was a kid. There's never really anything different about me. My life's not any different. I don't have disciples that follow me as I follow you. I just got this thing I did when I was a kid. Now I got a golden ticket and you've got to let me in now. Well, that's not a real that's not a real faith at all. If you're just depending on this thing you did once and your life is never any different, then you probably don't have a saving faith at all. Maybe you don't share your faith because you just had some religious experience rather than a life-changing event that literally moved you from death to life. Obviously, Abram's encounter with God was life-changing is yours. It's imperative that you know this without a doubt. Your eternity depends on it. I mean, examine yourself. Literally, I want you to examine yourself right now and go, has Jesus made a difference in my life? Has Jesus changed my life in any way? I claim to be a Christian, but is there anything different about me has my life changed in any way? Abram's life changed drastically, and we see that all through the scriptures, that when people follow Jesus, their lives are drastically different. They become different people. They're willing to do different things. They're willing to lay everything down to follow Jesus. Multitudes have done that. What about you? Has Jesus changed your life? He does. If he hasn't changed yours, he will. He can. He desires to do that. Let me keep going. Verse 6 says this. Abram passed through the land to the place at Shechem, 
to the oak of Moreh. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, to your offspring, I will give this land. So he built there an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. From there, he moved to the hill country on the east side of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. And Abram journeyed on, still going toward the Negev. Now, Abram's journey in this is a pretty good snapshot of what life following Jesus should resemble. What do you mean by that, preacher? What, what do you mean my life should resemble Abram's? Well, the, in this life, as Christians, we're just pilgrims. We're just passing through. We're just moving on. This, this is a life that we're not, we're not called to just put down roots because this is all there is. We're just passing through. We get 40, 50, 60, 80, maybe 90 years for some of you that don't have the same uh, health conditions that I have. Uh, you might get 90 years or whatever that is, but that's just 90 years compared to eternity. We're just literally passing through this life. And this this thought really is at odds with the, the dominant culture here or the dominant thought process in our culture where we've got to build our own kingdoms. I mean, think about it. Most of our thoughts and most of the things that we do here in this life uh, are, really revolve around settling and security and safety, okay? Settling security and safety. So we like to settle in a place and call it our own and, and have some family land. And this land's been in my family for years and ages. And, and this is Benjamin property and, and, and nobody gets to take this. And we're going to do whatever we can do to keep this Benjamin property and our, and our land and, and, and our family's name for, for years to come. There's not anything wrong with that unless that becomes our overarching thing that is the most important thing in our life. We, we, we do that. We settle. And we want security. We're looking for security. And again, there's nothing wrong with locking our doors or, or having a handgun in your house in case someone breaks into your home. There's nothing wrong with security. And there's nothing wrong with safety. We have a tendency to just want to settle, be secure, and be safe. Our natural desire is for more comfort. And our natural desire moves us toward big homes and families who create these dynasties, but God's word actually teaches us otherwise. You can write this down. Go to Colossians chapter 3, verse 1 through 4, and, and you'll see this is what the text says. It instructs us to seek the things which are above. This, the word there is seek, look for the things that are above. Seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. And that's, that's a direct teaching for us as followers of Jesus. Don't set our minds on things that are on earth. Set our mind on things that are above, for you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. That text is saying this world is not our home. We could be called at any moment to uproot wherever we are and go do something crazy. Go follow Jesus. Do something like, like Abram was called to do. Back to this text, it tells us Abram built an, offer, built, built an altar in Shechem 
And honestly, as he was building these altars in all this place, he was symbolically taking possession of the land for God. He was claiming the possession the possession of the land that God had promised him. It says that he continued on and built another altar between Bethel and Ai where he pitched his tent for a while. And then he continued on toward the Negev. That's what the text tells us. And it's really interesting to uh, think about Abram doing this in this land. Yes, he was following God. Uh, Yes, he was laying claim to to it by building altars as they go out along the way. And he was publicly worshiping God in the middle of a a pagan culture. He would would stop when he would build this altar. He would worship God wherever he would build these altars. And, And yes, Abram is the antithesis or the opposite of Babel, where men wanted to make their names great, yet they were dispersed. But because Abram wanted to make God's great name great in a pagan land, it was Abram's name that was made great by God. Think about that. Abram said, I'm going to make God's name great. I'm going to build altars. I'm going to claim this for God, and I want God's name to be made great. And in that, God turned and made Abram's name great among those pagans. So the question is, so what? What do we do with things like this? What do we do with a text like this, and how does it apply to each of us as followers of Jesus today? I think there's five things we can take from this. One, true faith believes the Word of God. True faith believes the Word of God. What that means is, one, you got to read it. You need to know what the Word of God actually says and what it calls us and you and me to do. So it believes that the word of God is true. And God either tells us something through his word, he reveals us something through his Holy Spirit. True faith believes the word of God. I would encourage you, follower of Jesus, believe what God says to be true. Don't dismiss it. Don't put it to the side. Don't just disregard it, but believe what it says to be true. Secondly, true faith steps out on God's word. And so what that means is if we read something in God's word or if we, if we believe that God is calling us to do something, then we act on it. We step out in faith and go, okay, God, you're calling me to do this. You're giving me instruction to do this. Then I'm going to follow what it is that you call me to do. As crazy as it may seem, if it means to leave my family and my country and all my possessions and to go do something crazy, I'm going to trust you. I'm going to step out and follow your word. True faith follows wherever God directs. And so that may mean to leave your country. That may mean to leave your hometown. That may mean to get out of your comfort zone. That may mean to leave the the patterns of life that you've lived your entire life and to do something very different. But God calls and true faith follows wherever God's word directs. And in that, true faith worships wherever it goes. That's what Abraham did. When Abram went into this country, he worshiped God. He built these altars and he worshiped God. The question is for you, do people, because he was making a public spectacle in the middle of pagan lands to go, I worship a God that probably none of you know who he is. I worship him and I'm not ashamed to worship him. True faith worships wherever it goes. Do you do those kind of things? Are you worshiping wherever you go? Are you a worshiper of the one true God at your work and in your home and and at your leisure time and with your buddies or wherever you might be? Are you a worshiper of the one true God or are you a conformer to the culture? 
Lastly, true faith proclaims the name of the Lord. That's what Abram was doing. He was proclaiming the name of the Lord. He, wherever he went, those people that followed him, uh, th- those people that were converted, and he was telling them about this true God that had called him out of darkness and AI, and, and they were calling him to follow him. He said, hey, true faith is gonna tell people about this. If you know Jesus and your life has been set free from sin and, and, and you, have a, you have been redeemed by the precious blood of Jesus and your life is hidden in him, then true faith is going to tell people that very thing. You can't not tell people about the hope that lies within you. True faith does these things. And so the question becomes, is your faith a true faith? Is your faith actively at work following Jesus? Is your faith worshiping Jesus in all of life? Is your faith proclaiming the good news of Jesus to those that you come around? If your faith is not a faith that has changed you, listen, then you probably have no faith at all. If your faith is not a faith that has changed you, then you probably have no faith at all. I urge you today to follow the God of Abraham, the God of creation, the God who has given himself to rescue you from sin and death. Ask God to call you out of darkness, to call you out of your pagan land, and to make you his own. He'll do it today. He'll save you today. He'll give you a hope. He'll give you a future today if you follow him. That's my hope for each of us. Let me pray for you.